us again, Ali and George from the Not The Top 20 podcast. We've had three full game weeks now and there is plenty to get our teeth into. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, An interesting addition this week as well, George. We've got a new feature. Yeah, basically a new feature every week at the moment. Um, As of this week, we are going to, at the end of each podcast, we're going to choose a team that we think have been the team of the week, uh, the people, the team have impressed us the most. Uh, This week, we've got a pretty special guest. We're setting the standard quite high. (laughs) We've got a pretty special guest on to help us do that. But uh, make sure you keep listening right to the end of the podcast, past League Two. I know it's it's pretty far, but uh, and then you'll hear our team of the week with a special guest talking us through that team. We will, as ever, start at the championship level and there's only one place to start really because it's very rare to see a 7-1 scoreline George it was West Brom against QPR we spoke on the betting show about this game having goals but I don't think anyone thought it would have eight goals seven of them for West Brom an absolute shellacking just the floodgates opened in the second half and I want to look at this from from both sides we'll start with West Brom We've seen the good, the bad and the ugly of them already this season. That home loss against Bolton uh, and now a 7-1 win showing exactly what they can offer. So uh, when you look at that game and and see West Brom piling forward with Gale and Rodriguez, Phillips, Barnes, Gibbs, does it get you uh, pretty excited? Yeah, I'm much more positive now than I was um, after watching the Forest game. Um, I still think in the centre midfield they need something a bit more. I'm still not sure that Brunt and Livermore are going to be a match for most centre midfielders, but... um, you know, this QPR team looked pretty weak indeed. And I do think that despite, you know, for once not getting on the score sheet, Harvey Barnes was again absolutely brilliant. So unlucky not to score with one of his trademark cut and side and bangs. Um, he just looks so at ease at this level, so comfortable uh, and very good indeed. Unlucky not to get on the score sheet. But as you mentioned, um, Jay Rodriguez, the fact he's staying is a huge positive. Um, Gibbs, who, who notched the rebound from that uh, Barnes effort. And then I mean, Matt Phillips, immediately looks like one of those players who uh, despite maybe not setting the world alight in the Premier League looks like he is just too good for this level and he is going to be a real thorn on a lot of people's side on that right wing It was cool to see Darren Moore mixing it up a bit in terms of shape and formation so they started the season uh, with four at the back and they've moved to, to three centre-backs now uh, Ada Riabo who's on loan from Man City Higazi and Kyle Bartley uh, and Matty Phillips sort of dropping back norm- norm- nominally uh, a right midfielder right winger but playing right wing back and you know, against a team like QPR, when you're such heavy favourites, I think that's a that's a risk you can take with it with an athletic, uh, right-sided centre back to cover Phillips's runs, and on, and on the left, it really freed up Gibbs as well. I mean, he hadn't scored a goal for years and years, uh, but it's easy to forget that Gibbs has ten England caps. You know, this is a, a player who's played his whole career at the top level, and he's showing that you know, in the face of them signing Connor Townsend as well from Scunthorpe, another left back, left wing back. Gibbs is, is making the step up and that's what you need from those players who are maybe big names uh, dropping down in the championship and, and, and the word on that change of shape which is really interesting from Moore to, to pull out as well is that I mentioned my reservations about Livermore and Brunt but I think it suits them really nicely and that you know their role therefore playing as those two uh, two city midfielders in front of a three means that they're far more defensive minded and enables Phillips and Gibbs to be more attacking minded it means Barnes can drop in I think the issue we saw with Nottingham Forest is that they were not able to effectively retain the ball and use Whereas I think, given this system, it's, it's you know it's square uh, pegs and square holes now. Where I think 
they know their positions, they know the role they're meant to be playing and it's going to suit them much better. We had a, a few people tweeting in, you know, I mentioned Kieran Gibbs and uh, his pedigree. Well, it sounded like Jake Livermore put in a, a really good performance, dominant in the central midfield, and he fits that bill as well. The players that drop down, recognisable names who've clearly had a tough year or two, uh, and you wait and see how they're going to adapt, how they're going to react to dropping down to the championship. Uh, Livermore putting in a really good performance there. Um, as for QPR, well, Patrick said to us they looked just mentally shot after the third goal uh, Freeman probably best of a bad bunch how often do we do we see that said about QPR um, and it really was a, an absolute horror show for the German centre-back they signed in the summer Leisner uh, who looked very very ropey there was no communication uh, between the defenders and the goalkeeper two penalties conceded Steve McLaren looking shell-shocked after the game it has been a pointless start to the season for QPR. No points from three games. And it's, it's, it's looking really, really, really grim. And that sort of capitulation uh, does not make you think that this is the sort of team that looks ready for a, a, a scrap. Well, no, normally I'd ward you off calling a team pointless. But I think in this respect, it's probably fair enough um, in, both, in both meanings of the word. Um, I was surprised to hear Steve McLaren saying afterwards that he, he hadn't seen this coming in pre-season or in the games that they'd played. Um, and he name-checked the Peterborough home game, unsurprisingly, because they won that match. But I, I do think that despite only losing their first two games of the season by one goal, um, this has not been a promising start whatsoever. And I think that given you know a home defeat where they took the lead are fine but I think given the way they've started and the performance levels and going away to a team who've just been relegated with the plethora of talent they've got available to them to, to come out afterwards and say he didn't see it coming is a bit troubling really I think you've just got to own your defeat and understand that you're you're on naught points from three games and that things have got to turn around rather than acting exasperated about the fact that your, your team capitulated in the second half there are two other teams on zero points from the first three games at Reading are one of them they lost at home to Bolton uh, on the weekend George, now, of course, uh, the Reading poor start to the season was something that we certainly expected. I think a lot of the fans uh, were waiting to see how Paul Clement would do with a whole pre-season behind him. But again, after this defeat, a little like what you've said about McLaren there, not the most convincing quotes from Clement post-game. And, you know, I I mean no disrespect to Bolton and Phil Parkinson, who is doing a fantastic job again uh, and who are massively outdoing our expectations. But I think it's fair to say that as a Reading fan, you you will not be putting up with home defeats for Bolton for, for, for very long. No, um, again, this, this, it looks like a fairly um, unlucky defeat uh, statistically. This isn't the same Reading team as last season who were basically struggling to create anything. They had 15 shots to, um, to Bolton's nine. A fair few of those shots were in pretty ropey positions, but a few were inside the box as well. So, and they, I mean, they dominated possession completely, you know, completely outpassing Bolton as well. So you do wonder if, if maybe this is a variation coming up again, where because they picked up so many points last season, which they didn't deserve, and inevitably they were going to have a, a run where maybe they weren't picking up the points that they um, did deserve. The first two games against, against Derby and Forest, it's a pretty tricky start, and maybe they're unlucky in, in that Derby game again. So it's one of those ironic things where I'm sitting here wondering if, uh, if Reading are actually a bit getting a bit of the short straw at the moment and now their manager looks like he's in trouble and the fans are, are up against him. So, A couple of the fans that we've heard from, you've got one in Simeon who sort of agrees with you, says that the first half was bright, particularly Mark McNulty who found space between the lines really well. Uh, Callum, on the other hand, says uh, Reading are as bad as they've ever been. No width, no threat and no excitement. So uh, he's already not very happy with, with Paul Clement. And focusing on, on Bolton, 
Simeon said they tightened up in the second half with a very solid defensive shape and we had no answers. Callum says they defended well, kept it simple and scored. Is that the difference between a team like Bolton who look very much ready and willing for a, a relegation battle and, and understanding of their roles and how they're going to approach games uh, versus maybe a QPR or a Hull or a Reading who, who have convinced themselves before the start of the season that they're not going to be in trouble and are now coming up against teams who, who are ready for that and well drilled for it and, and struggling? Possibly. I, I mean, I do think this Bolton team, it's, you know, it's been an unbelievable start, but we have to... Um, you know, accept that they're 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 you know they're running hot at the moment. This isn't going to continue as a six points from two away games is a great effort. I mean, with this Reading team, maybe the expectations have to be reset. Um, again, I'm still not entirely sure what their fans are expecting from this season anyway. And but the fact they are creating chances, albeit they're only one of two teams who haven't had a shot in the six yard box yet. Um, they are averaging 15th in the league for shots inside the opposition area, where last season they would have been bottom. So that suggests some kind of progress. But they now have Blackburn away and Aston Villa away the next two games of the season, which both look really, really tough indeed. So if they are on naught points from five games, feasibly they could do that without really um, statistically playing particularly badly. But uh, you'd think at the end of the day, that's probably going to be the end of Clement. Parkinson definitely getting uh, plenty out of some of his summer signings and it's no surprise or rather no, uh, no secret that he really was shopping in the, in the bargain bin uh, in terms of, of championship potential signings. But Josh McGuinness uh, has been a real handful starting to to replace the physicality that they lost when Medine left in January, which, which Wilbraham was doing his best to, to replicate. But McGuinness, you know, strong, good in the air. Um, and of course, Yannick Wiltshire, who came on and scored the winner. The, the, these are the types of players that are, have moved up to Bolton and, and started to buy into to what Phil Parkinson's doing. And that, that's really important for them because there was a time with a few weeks before the start of the season when the squad looked desperately short of quality so uh, huge credit to Parkinson and a great start to Bolton uh, there, there are a few other teams we wanted to touch on uh, Millwall beat Derby 2-1 in Millwall and then I suppose Blackburn who we might touch on as well two teams that drew their first two games of the season making it quite hard to say definitively how they were looking but in intensely Millwall fashion uh, a team in Derby arrived at the den uh, did not hit the ground running at the start of the game and found themselves 2-0 down so I, I know that uh, someone I was talking to yesterday Jake Robson who's a, a reporter for Talk Sport he was there and said it in quite classic Derby fashion uh, they, they set up with 4-4-2 in the second half Harris took off a striker replaced him with a midfielder to try and shore things up and the fans got very upset about that um, I, I remember reading that that, that Harris is essentially uh, obliged to play 4-4-2. The fans just wouldn't accept anything else, which I think is quite a, um, a unique situation, I suppose, uh, in, in that sense. But in Millwall, you know, a team that finished in the, in the top half last year against all the odds, and we weren't sure how much they would maybe regress. They obviously went on that long unbeaten run in the second half of last season. We weren't sure if they were going to be able to, to keep it up, but fairly positive start to the season, I think. Really positive. I think that opening day draw with Middlesbrough despite the sickening uh, circumstances where they were 2-0 up looks better now given how Middlesbrough have continued the season I think a draw away at Blackburn also looks really good now as well I think Blackburn are a team I'm keeping a very close eye on for the next few weeks where I think they could easily be one of the one of a few teams uh, who didn't necessarily expect to be going for for even playoff ambitions who look like they could do uh, this derby game was really interesting um, Scott Carson attempted more passes uh, on his own than uh, any Millwall player which I think tells you a lot A about the way that um, Frank Lampard has set his team up to play and maybe their shortcomings as well um, we've seen managers before at this level fall into the trap of trying to 
input a style of football that doesn't really suit the players he's got at his disposal. And the fact that Richard Keogh attempted 78 passes uh, over the weekend, um, I mean, uh, Richard Keogh has had his uh, good times as a championship centre-back, but I think anyone trying to turn him into some kind of a a ball-playing player with Carson behind him, these guys aren't really used to this style of football. So Frank Lampard has to work out pretty quickly if he's going to be that committed to this style of playing out the back. Um, given that they're not really creating too much. They didn't really create anything in the first half. It, was, it wasn't until they were 2-0 down and Millwall really sat off that they were able to create much and even then it wasn't really enough. So, fantastic by Millwall. Really did a job on them um, and I think, again, they're going to be very hard to beat, especially at home. But uh, I looked at this game more as just panic. Well, not panic, but just a bit of negativity for, for Derby, really. Even when you've got Tom Lawrence shooting from 40 yards with a free kick, which Jordan Archer made a very good save. But even then, you're wondering if this is going to be the, the way they approach games, then, yeah, concerns. Hull are another of the teams on zero points, and it, it's, it's been written about already plenty about the, the issues there, uh, lack of investment, and Nigel Atkins essentially managing a team with, with a hand or two tied behind his back, and it's something that we more or less predicted from the start of the season, so we won't dwell too much because it's been a miserable start to the season. They were beaten uh, at home by Blackburn, who on the flip side looked really, really good. Tony Mowbray has, has managed to help them step up to the Championship fairly seamlessly. Uh, of course, Bradley Dack is taking the headlines. Uh, he has been on absurd form, both in terms of scoring, um, arriving late in the box and finishing really smartly on the weekend, but also in creating, set up a few goals in the, in the Carabao Cup. And him and Adam Armstrong look to have quite a good partnership. Uh, Casey Palmer's been sort of uh, helping him out, I suppose, in a supporting role. And, and they, they look really fluid and, and they're playing brilliant football good attacking football Blackburn uh, they uh, along with Wigan have, have really stepped up to the championship well and have proven themselves to be very much teams to watch this season uh, just lastly George Brentford uh, we didn't mention last week they, they got a very good point at Stoke and, and probably felt like they deserved a bit more but they made very light work of Sheffield Wednesday yesterday and three weeks ago we, we predicted them to be uh, third I think uh, in our 1-24 to predictions there are plenty of people who were quite surprised about that but I suppose uh, after such a poor start last season which we just didn't think would happen again uh, we're starting to see the Brentford side that, that we hoped we'd see and possibly actually even better than we expected yeah, there's a lot that's been said about Leeds being the class team in the league uh, so far this season. And given the fixtures that they've had to contend with, I think that's fair. But Brentford have lost absolutely no ground on them whatsoever. Um, they look really, really good. Uh, I think everything's clicked very quickly. That away draw at Stoke, I guess, you know, I mean, they have lost ground because they've dropped points. But in terms of impressing and in terms of the way they're playing, uh, they look like like definitely one of the class teams in the league. And I think that... Uh, given the start they've had, given the fact that Morpé, despite continuing to miss chances, is, is scoring and, and they're creating so much. The start that Ollie Watkins has made, keeping Ryan Woods, this is a team who, who are well set for a real promotion push. And I think that you know you and I are going to Villa Park on Wednesday uh, to watch Aston Villa-Brentford. Um, I think we both probably expect a bit of a surprise to the neutral there where we think Brentford will do pretty well. And uh, I have a feeling that Wednesday night could signal the the game where people wake up to them a bit and think hello uh, this is a team you know this isn't little or Brentford anymore this is a proper team who, who are going to be fighting at the top end of the table plenty of teams would have struggled with the Ryan Woods to Swansea saga Woods very much still at the club and, and unused sub 
on the weekend, but Smith has basically created no issues or fanfare surrounding it, has trusted McEachran and McLeod to, to step up, which they have done. Uh, they've got two 20-year-old centre-backs playing in Esri Konza and Chris Meppen, both of them incredibly impressive uh, in, in their different styles of, of defending. And uh, someone like Dalsgaard's been really catching the eye. They've been integrating slowly some of those new players. Saeed Benrama has had a few uh, cameos off the bench that... You know, have have been really exciting the Brentford fans, just full of flicks and tricks and, and, and pace, and looks like an excellent player. So, all good news for Brentford at the moment. Be really interesting to see how they get on at Villa Park on Wednesday. A Villa team who are on seven points as well, uh, but whose fans don't seem quite as enamoured with the start to their season and and with uh, Steve Bruce as the man to take them forward. I, I would say that's probably the pick of the midweek action and. Uh, Definitely make sure that you're subscribed because I'm sure on Thursday when we do the betting show, uh, we will discuss the games that we've been to see this week, namely Oxford Accrington. And then on Wednesday, Aston Villa against Brentford. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at NTT20pod and we'll make sure that we get some some half-decent content out there over the course of midweek. Dropping down into League One, George, and uh, you went to Portsmouth for Oxford United 1. On the weekend, Pompey, one of three teams across the EFL, joined by Leeds and Peterborough, with a 100% record so far. Uh, how impressive were Portsmouth? Jamal Lowe, from what I saw in the highlights, really catching the eye. Yeah, Lowe did catch the eye. Um, he was very good second half. It's, it's worth pointing out that his goal was um, uh, when the game was, you know, it was 3-1 with in the 94th minute. I mean, it doesn't take anything away from it, but it was by no means um, the goal that won it. Uh, the players that really stood out um, but, but definitely Thompson in the middle of the park as well on loan obviously I think it was his first game for the club um, he's who, on loan from Millwall from Millwall think, yeah, yeah who looked really really good indeed um, we also had uh, obviously I was delighted to see Pittman wasn't there but I can see why Hawkins is the man in favour he may not be a goal scorer but uh, wow he wins absolutely everything in the air and he's a real real nuisance indeed uh, Ronan Curtis was a thorn in our side and a, and a player who I think many, many opposition fullback will hate playing against. What sort of player is, is Curtis? He's come over from the League of Ireland, I think. Yeah, just just very um, tenacious, good on the ball, uh, wound up Tony McMahon like nothing else, um, <laughs> was in the referee's ear the whole time. Just looked a really good player, just a, a nuisance, really. Um, they look really, really good. Um, they, it, for, for much of the game, it, it looked like uh, men against boys, I must say. Even when they were lining up, you looked at the Oxford team compared to the Pompey team and they just looked stronger, uh, fitter. Um, and when the game started, you could just see that they were better. I'm finding it fascinating that we predicted Portsmouth to do well, and a big part of that was that Brett Pittman would give them 20 goals without you know any questions asked. And actually, uh, having been hauled off at half-time on opening day, uh, hasn't seen any game time uh, off the bench yet. And that's a real... Uh, power play I would say from Kenny Jacket who's considered to be one of the nicest blokes around but uh, clearly he is saying to Pittman you know whatever the issue is uh, we don't necessarily need you and, and Hawkins has stepped up brilliantly well so that's you know a real boon I suppose for Jacket very impressive and it's worth you know from the outside looking in you assume there must be something wrong with that Pittman um, relationship with, with Jacket but having watched the game on Saturday I mean there's no way he could drop him I mean they're always going to play that system where they're going to play a 4-3-3 with those two wide men kind of cutting inside off, off, off the target man and 
even though he didn't score, and he's, I, I don't think he's ever going to be particularly prolific, although he did score a few goals for Dagenham, Hawkins. Um, if if, if Jacket was to drop him out, it would be incredibly unfair, especially mm. given the start they've made. So I think Pittman's just going to have to bide his time. Well, they've got Pittman, they've got Chaplin, they've got David Wheeler all coming off the bench if need be. So things looking quite strong there. And of course, we touched on uh, their defence in the past, but looking as solid as ever, that back four of, of Anton Walks, Jack Watmore, Matthew Clark, and Lee Brown, it's not much getting well, through until, them. Until they were 3 0 up, and then suddenly Oxford managed to create a couple of chances. But uh, hit, hit the woodwork twice, but it was it was way way too late. Peterborough fellow team with a hundred percent record, and they dispatched Luton on the weekend. Uh, we had a few messages from Luton fans saying that the, the the referee was one of the first they've seen for a while. But watching, uh, sorry, one of the worst <laughs> they've seen for a long time. But uh, watching that Peterborough side in full flight uh, with with Dembele at the heart of things is uh, is pretty exciting. Yeah, Dembele and Cummings both look like really, really good, um, good, good signings. We saw Cummings um, stick away the penalty that he won himself in impressive fashion. Dembele looks really, really good. Um, a huge churn of players over the summer, but it looks like yet again they've recruited well. And you know with these Steve Evan teams, when he gets some clicking, when he gets some scoring, they're very, very hard to stop. And in the three league games, they so far they've scored two, four and three, which suggests they're going to have no problems going forward. Um, Luton, I think, can not feel... Um, uh, they weren't hard done by but at the same time you still have to think they probably didn't deserve to be 3-0 down after half an hour their season yet to really start but um, I'm still not particularly worried about how they're going to be getting we, we on we had a tweet saying you're laughing at our Luton um, top two prediction uh, on, at about 5pm on Saturday from a Sunderland fan and I thought <laughs> well they've played uh, who have they played? Portsmouth away, Sunderland at home and Peterborough away. I think and, we'll find out plenty about them in the next few weeks. And add, that, add into that a pretty um, tricky tie in the cup away at West Brom where they played not their f- uh, strongest team but still played a decent team. So it's been a really hard start for them. I think that Nathan Jones will be delighted they've got two home games in a week against Southend which I think they should expect to win and Shrewsbury which they should, should probably expect to win as well. So it would be no surprise to see them suddenly on, uh, on, on seven points rather than one point at the end of the week. Sunderland looked very strong, beating, dispatching, really, Scunthorpe yesterday on, on Sunday afternoon. And in Josh Major, they've got a striker who is just finishing with unerring quality. Uh, Max Power was added uh, in midfield, and, and of course, he's going to be good at this level. He's, he's, he's loved it here uh, down in League One with Wigan before, and uh, they are starting to look like uh, the, the, the team whose class players and the quality of their players is starting to show. Maguire finishing well, Lyndon Gooch having a, a great start to the season as well. So uh, really good stuff from a Sunderland point of view and, and another massive attendance there. So as we said, you know, the, 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 they did their job in the summer, the new owners, to create anticipation and to make the fans feel like they were doing the right things. Uh, but it was important that they followed that up on the pitch. And ever since that last-minute winner... In the first game, it looks like Jack Ross and his team are, are fulfilling the potential. So quite an exciting uh, few teams towards the top of League One, Peterborough, Portsmouth, Barnsley and Sunderland. Just two more that we wanted to touch on. Just, um, just want to mention one tweet that wasn't even tweeted to us, but I thought it was an interesting tweet from a Sunderland fan uh, where he said, just throwing it out there, but I reckon that Chris Maguire is my new favourite player. Like, <laughs> The lad seems to think that every time he pulls a Sunderland shirt on that he's playing in a cup final. Tremendous attitude. So I'm delighted he's doing that and it must be tricky listening for some buried listeners out there who could have done with that last season well he just needs to be uh, inspired doesn't he and, and clearly wasn't at Bury last season two more now uh, to touch on in League One uh, AFC Wimbledon are in eighth now they held Barnsley to a nil all draw 
on the weekend, hugely impressive given how everyone, including ourselves, uh, assumed that Barnsley's hot start to the season would, would continue. Uh, leaves Wimbledon on five points from three games, uh, having scored one goal and conceded no goals. Now, that's uh, quite an interesting place to be after three games. Uh, a great friend of the pod, Jimmy, mentioned to us that if they were to continue uh, uh, with this sort of scoring ratio, they'd finish on 75 points, uh, scoring 15 goals and conceding none. <laughs> uh, and 75 points good enough for fifth pl- uh, place last season. So, uh, obviously, enough with the frivolity. What about the team here? Because Wimbledon, uh, a team that we predicted to struggle and who, again, thus far after only three games, are showing that that they are just so ready to, to be a team that scraps for everything. Yeah, I think this is one of those where we've just got to, well, I mean, it may be premature saying this, but we've got to put our hands up and just, just say that we've got to, we've got to accept that this AFC Wimbledon and Neil Ardley are just, just good. Yeah, I agree. Um, that they, we were worried we, you know, two years ago or, or a year ago, it was Tom Elliott we were worried about. Now it was um, Lyle Taylor, but it just doesn't seem to really affect them. And they're so effective. They're so good at the back. Um, it's just really, really impressive, and to keep this Barnsley team out and, and the the guys that they're currently playing in. I know they had a couple of chances, but nothing really huge. Um, it's it's an amazing achievement, and maybe I mean we had them going down, but uh, given the way the league started, given the fact that as we as we both think it's not a particularly strong edition of League One, um, the sky's the limit. A huge game against Warsaw on Tuesday, and then they entertain Sutherland, which uh, which I think is arguably the clash of the weekend. Oshelaja at the back for Wimbledon is just an absolute gem. I mean, not only uh, is he sort of the ball winner, we saw uh, the likes of Enciala impressed last season who just win everything, but Oshelaja on the ball as well. Hugely, hugely impressive and looks set to be uh, the sort of player that will, will make the step up to the Championship at some point fairly straightforward, in a fairly straightforward fashion. I know that Wimbledon fans are absolutely thrilled that he stuck around for another season. He really seems to have found a home uh, at Wimbledon after uh, uh, an early career spent out on loan so congrats to, to Osha Larger congrats to Neil Ardley because the, the start of the season has definitely um, allayed any fears that Wimbledon fans had that this might be uh, a really really tough season of course there's still uh, a fairly long way to go but a really impressive start and a great performance against Barnsley lastly George we just wanted to touch on Walsall because uh, they were part of our first game in focus uh, of the NTT20 betting show that game against Gillingham which uh, we predicted to be uh, uh, over 2.5 goals and both teams to score uh, finished 2-1 to Walsall so uh, a a successful uh, week for us in terms of tipping in terms of the game in focus but also uh, another example of this Walsall team just knowing exactly what they are and really just doing a job on the opposition The, the atmosphere around the club has gone completely 180 uh, and Dean Keats seems to be doing a, an unbelievable job. Yeah, um, we mentioned on the betting podcast we weren't entirely sure how strong um, the opposition have been in Warsaw's start. But I don't think that really matters now. I think the fact that Dean Keats has got this team on side, he's got a group of players playing oozing with confidence um, and already with, uh, with seven points on the board, I just don't think it matters. They've got two... Um, tricky away ties we've just spoken about AFC Wimbledon of course and Rochdale never easy to beat at home 
And then after that, they've got Macclesfield and Blackpool, both at home, which could be two of the easiest games you can have. So there's no reason to see why this can't continue. Um, they're riding the, cre- the crest of a wave. Um, unbelievable goal from, uh, from Morgan Ferrier to, to open up the scoring against Gillingham. Um, as you mentioned for the betting podcast, I think you and I were probably the happiest people about Tom Eve scoring a, a pointless 93rd minute header, but, mm. um, but it, was, it was good stuff nonetheless. Um, but yeah, just delighted for Walsall uh, that they're doing so well. Um, they seem to be uh, Keats has employed this 4-4-2 system which the players seem to be enjoying anyone who saw Ferrier's goal can see that they're playing with sheer confidence to have a have a welly like that early on in the game um, shows that they're oozing with confidence so um, well done Walsall uh, it's early days in terms of our prediction where we had them going down I wouldn't say that that is completely torn up yet because we know how things can change but uh, I think full mark so far Absolutely and in George Dobson in the centre of midfield they have someone uh, who has just taken his game to the next level over the summer uh, after ending the season fairly strongly he's been around the block a bit spent a bit of time out in in Holland uh, but seems to have found a, a home at Walsall and you know as as the ball playing midfielder in that 4-4-2 he has a huge amount of responsibility on his shoulders Walsall not a team that bother uh, tapping it around they're not a team that that needs or, or, or really searches for extended spells of possession uh, they look forward quickly um, or they look out wide and in, in Ginelli and, and Ismail uh, or Morris who played on the weekend uh, out wide they've got strong direct wingers and in Andy Cook and Morgan Ferrier they've got a brilliant uh, combination up front who, who between them have, have really all the attributes that you need uh, for a good strike partnership so uh, great to see uh, a club that over the last 18 months has been a bit doom and gloom since that excellent 15-16 season uh, really good to see uh, the atmosphere lifted and, uh, and the, play, the team rather uh, responding in kind playing without shackles really good start to the season for Walsall in League Two, it, uh, it's just classic League Two. I was looking at, at the results on the weekend. A lot of draws, a lot of very tight games. Uh, and you're looking at the table and it's instantly already really, really compact. Um, there's, there's basically, what is it, five points between first and 20th, whereas in the other leagues, there's already gaps opening up between the top and the bottom. In League Two, as always, we always say it, uh, really, really tight. So uh, really only one team to talk about uh from the weekend and that's uh, that's Yeovil Town yeah so this is the first I mean it's it's almost frustrating that it's come that it's a league two team who we're going to cover but this as I said is a new feature at the end of each um podcast we're going to talk about one team who, who we think deserves extra praise special praise and to be looked at in depth this time it is Yeovil who obviously beat Notts County 4-0 away from home on Friday night and uh, normally it'll, it'll just be Ali and I talking through the uh, the game or the team, but this time we've got a very special guest uh, in the shape of hat trick hero for Yeovil, Alex Fisher. We spoke to Alex earlier, and this is what he had to say. Alex and I actually went to school together when we were younger, so that's why we've been able to get him on the pod at such great notice. Uh, thanks for joining us, mate. Ah, oh, pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, having me on. So, just to kind of kick off with, obviously. An amazing result on Friday night. Uh, not much football going on, so a lot of people saw it. Just talk us through how it felt to get off the mark away from home against one of the, you know, one of the favourites for the league with a hat trick. Uh, yeah, against Notts County. Uh, it was tremendous. Um, obviously, personally, it was it was nice. To, uh, it's always nice to get your first goal of the season. So to get uh, to get three was, was great. But um, I have to say, uh, in not meaning to sound cliche, but it was one of the best team performances I think the club's shown for a very long time. And 
I mean, the combined distance of the first couple of goals is only probably about four or five yards <laughs> out. So I've got to give huge credit to the guys that, I think um, that's generous as well. that put it put it on a place. Um, I suppose as a striker, you do have to be there. Um, <laughs> but now it was it was it's always a nervous time as well when when you haven't got your first win. Uh, even it's only three games in, so that was that was a huge one to tick off as well. So all in all, it was um, a really successful evening. Did you feel a little bit like that performance could have could have been coming because actually you know you lost the first game in the season after a red card and then got a, a good performance against Mansfield two all draw at home took Villa pretty much all the way in midweek so I, I, I guess amongst yourselves you've you've realised that there is something happening at, at Yeovil this season and that performance might have been on the cards. Yeah, I mean we've we've been working as hard as I think you can without going too far on the body um, in on the training pitch uh, the first game we were down to actually nine men um, with a good sort of 35 minutes left to go and it took them to the 89th minute for Barry to score although it, I suppose it was maybe coming um, we still showed great character and resilience um, and then yeah the performance we put in against Villa uh, was, was, was tremendous and you know, we could argue we were unlucky not to, to win that game. So it was nice to see a few things come together um, on Friday night. Uh, we did have to ride our luck at times. I mean, Notts County a very strong side. They had some sustained periods of, of pressure where I think maybe in the Oval teams gone by, we might have conceded one and, and the game could have been different. But um, credit to the back five uh, for keeping the ball out of the net. And uh, we were able to put into practice some of the stuff we've been working out on the uh, training ground. Was it hard to get over that? I mean, obviously you played so well against Villa in the Cup game. And as you mentioned, you were maybe unlucky to lose, especially in 90 minutes. Was it hard to get over that and, and kind of get back into, into gear for a game three days later? Or did that give you kind of a bit of momentum, even though you lost that performance against you know, one of the biggest teams in, in the competition, give you a bit of a push? Yeah, I mean, I have to say, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty bang on. Um, we got uh, applauded off by our fans, even though we'd lost um, probably louder than we did from some of the wins we had last year uh, and you can take real confidence from that because it's nice to see a good team display uh, be rewarded by your supporters um, and ultimately it's nice to be able to actually give something back sometimes it's nice to have a good performance but if you lose it's it's a bit bittersweet um, so to have all that and then come away with the three points on Friday was was tremendous but the, there was momentum um, personally I felt ever so slightly responsible having had a penalty saved um, yeah. in the Villa game and um, it was great to be able to, to sort of put that behind us and uh, as my, uh, myself personally and as a team um, start gaining a little bit of momentum in the league. Alex, uh, we, we, we ask people who have gone to watch games over the weekend to tweet in their sort of uh, reports of the game and we had a couple of people at, at that game on Friday night uh, saying that... Yeah, there were so many of your players mentioned yourself obviously for scoring the goals but uh, Jai Simi as well uh, McDonald Arquin Patterson in, in midfield you've mentioned the back five there um, the whole side had pace and hunger said, said Chris who tweeted in so that, that seems to have been a, the real sort of characteristics of that, of that performance on Friday night and then I see the club tweet uh, a, a hilarious video of Ceci Dalmeida uh, sent, <laughs> basically every time a goal has been scored this season Ceci's yeah, been right. running faster than anyone else to jump on the back of the goal scorers is that is that sort of character and personality of the team which sometimes takes a bit of time to develop it seems like that's a, a big part of the squad at the moment yeah huge um, and you can't really just click your fingers and engineer that you kind of need to experience things like like the 
almost lows of uh, Tuesday night and then experience the highs of the Friday night. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to know as well when, you know, someone's made a mistake or done something right that uh, you have the right support behind you. I know if I give the bail away, maybe, uh, you know, you've got eight men behind the ball that are going to be getting it back um, and everyone's pulling in the right way and, and, and all together. People, <laughs> Seth, so I don't think he needs to up his stats when it comes to ground covered so I'm surprised he doesn't take a break when, uh, when we're celebrating but he seems to uh, want to try and push his um, sprint distance up by trying to catch up with whoever's ah, celebrating you, you, um, he he's a great it. personality um, and a tr- tremendous player uh, fits really strongly into our blueprint um, as you mentioned I, I, you can't pick out any individual from that game um, I felt ever so slightly embarrassed to take some of the headlines because I guess a hat-trick's a hat-trick, but it, there were some real standout displays uh, from everyone. Um, and I think you could pick any one of the individuals that came on, started or, or came on and, um, you know, argue that they should have it, the nice words written about them as much as it was me. Fisher thrice was one of the headlines that I saw that you've mentioned, there, which, I, which I quite liked. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, yeah, it's uh, the, any any sort of fish-related part. I think the name's quite useful for, for journalists out there. So it's uh, well, I, I mean, suppose that's quite, quite a funny one. As you say, you made the headlines. So I think a lot of people would have been typing your name into Google on Friday night and Saturday morning. And, and having a quick look down your Wikipedia uh, club list, I, I can see this becoming something of one of those quiz games where people tweet your club <laughs> list and, and say, "Guess the player." To run through Oxford United, Brackley Town, Oxford City, Heres, TNN, McKellen, Heist. Monza, Mansfield, Torquay, Inverness, Motherwell, Yeovil. Just for those people who don't know, um, maybe just tell us a quick bit about how you managed to, to rattle off those clubs. And I mean, I know it all started at the at the Glen Hoddle Academy. That's right. Yeah, I mean, um, I've always set out when I've signed for clubs to try and lay a marker and be there for a substantial amount of time. Um, it's uh, it's funny when you hear it read out like that. It sounds quite a um, <laughs> quite a journeyman um, career I've also had a few unfortunate injuries along the way um, a few operations um, that have curtailed my time at clubs often um, lower league sides don't necessarily have the time or the finances to put someone through um, a new contract when they're coming back from a long term injury so that would explain sometimes why I've moved maybe a bit prematurely um, but I started at Oxford and had a, a couple loans um, to some part-time teams when I was between 16 and 18 um, and then moved to the Glen Hoddle Academy which is based out in Spain and kind of through that embarked on a career in, in Europe um, not necessarily intentionally but when you've got a, a contract and a bird in the hand in Spain versus trials in England you, you take kind of take the security and also yeah. it was a great chance to play a different style of football um, and you'd be surprised how much easier it is to move across Europe than it is from England into Europe. Yeah, um, so it might sound like a big deal moving from, say, Spain to Belgium from an English point of view. Um, but out there, it was just like, oh, you know, this team's seen you play. Would you would you be interested? Yeah, yeah. Um, your contract's coming up and, and you negotiate and, and off you go. And that was the same when I moved to Italy. Um, I've always tried to gain a record that I would be able to make a move back home um i'd say now if you were doing it you'd have a lot better chance than you would when i was doing it because there's not so many things like y scout or videos or anything like that where teams in england can remotely watch you um like they can now so i was kind of in that in between 
bracket of uh, of generation where it was just before the wave of technology kind of hits sort of League One, League Two. Um, so uh, it was quite it was a lot easier to take the contract than risk a trial um, because anything could happen. You know, if you if I got an injury or something or anything like that, then uh, all of a sudden I'm out of a job. And, yeah. You know, it's not long before the bills would start adding up. Um, so it was always easier to sort of take take the contract in hand and. When I finally got the opportunity to come home, which was to Mansfield, it was um, a dream come true to actually play uh, football league. Even though it was uh, 24 or 25 at the time, um, it was my first taste of English football league. So it was um, that was great, and it led to a couple of years in Scotland, which I really enjoyed as well in the SPL, and had quite a successful time certainly with Inverness. Um, and then, um, yeah, it kind of yeah, all rounded off with a trip closest to what I've actually ever played to home in Yeovil um, yeah. since, since I left Oxford. Well, I mean, before we let you go, and we're, we're delighted to see you doing so well, just going to put you on the spot quickly. I don't know if your okay, fans so. will know this, but you scored a pretty famous goal up in Scotland, well, famous for the club, um, equalising the 89th minute for Inverness Caledonian Thistle at the Caledonian Stadium against Celtic. What's the career highlight? Is it is it that or is it this hat trick on uh, on Friday night? Oh, that's a, that's a tricky. I, oh, Be careful to, to, to get it to get a hat trick is tremendous. Correct answer. Um, <laughs> I'd say in terms of um, career achievements, that's that's got to be up there. The one thing I would say about the Celtic goal was um, I broke my ankle ten minutes into my first game for Inverness. Um, coming off the bench on Sky. <laughs> um, oh, so I was you know, saying, oh, come on, guys, you should watch this. Uh, so I then spent nine months coming back from that, and that was my first ever Scottish goal, Scottish Premier League goal, and goal for Inverness, um, live on TV, and an equaliser and Celtic. So personally, that was a particular high, because it was a... It represented a lot, a lot of hard work that I don't think many people would have seen. Yeah. Um, getting up early doors in the gym at five in the morning, working on your body, trying to, you know, regain the muscle mass I lost on my one side. Um, so that epitomised a lot of hard work. Um, but being able to score a hat trick, I have to say, was 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 very special. Um, I'd have to put them on par with each other. So I'm going to sit on the fence on that one. Fair, fair enough. Cheers, cheers, mate, for coming on, and we wish you uh, all the best for the rest of the season and the rest of the career. Hopefully, many more headlines to come. That's great. I appreciate you guys showing an interest as well and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with, uh, with your podcast with, with future episodes to come. It was great to hear from Alex there and we thank him very much for his time phoning in. Interesting career uh, and quite the poacher as well as he's shown since he joined Yeovil back in January. Very good vibes at Yeovil from the sounds of things so far this season. So another team uh, definitely providing uh, some, some uh, well, sticking their middle fingers up, I should say, really, to, to pre-season predictions. And um, that's great to see. Now, there were a few other uh, winners in League Two over the weekend. Swindon came from behind to beat 10-man Tranmere. Stevenage, Port Vale, Oldham, uh, all recording fairly straightforward home wins. And in the battle between the two teams that I am really worried about, about in Cheltenham and Carlisle. It was Carlisle that came away with a hard-fought win. Richie Bennett with the winner there. Cheltenham, uh, three games. They've lost all three 1-0, struggling for goals since the departure of Issa. Macclesfield and Morecambe also on zero points. So a bit of doom and gloom there in League Two. But that's all that we've got time for today. We thank you very much, as ever, for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed uh, this podcast. If you have enjoyed the podcast... 
make sure you're subscribed. You will get the betting show from us on Thursday. Also, make sure that you are around on Thursday evening, specifically around 7pm, where the first EFL matters of the season uh, will be going out on Sky Sports Football and the special guests in the studio are your friends from Not The Top 20 podcast, uh, me and George. So we're looking forward to joining David Pratton for that one. And no doubt, uh, looking back at the first three weeks of the season, there will be no shortage of talking points. So really excited about that. Thank you very much for listening. If you've got this far, as ever, we just ask uh, for a retweet, for a share. Uh, we are always so humbled and blown away by your support, but we, but we still need it. So uh, don't stop there. And uh, until next time. <laughs>